Welcome to the Da Vinci Hour, a podcast series that interviews individuals across the field of medicine to help provide an inside look into their experiences and provide insight on how to navigate the journey of becoming a physician. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a medical education company that provides online video courses, outline format books, and clinical case videos for students studying the medical basic sciences. You can check out all that DaVinci Academy has to offer at www.dbiacademy.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm joined this week by Dr. Patrick Beeman. Uh, Patrick and I uh, actually went to the same med school, but a few years apart, uh, we'll talk about, and then connected, I think, was it now three or four months ago now, and we've been producing some educational content, and uh, I'm happy to have Patrick on here to... uh, talk about his clinical practice and then his, uh, obviously his very busy contributions to medical education at large. So Patrick, welcome to the DaVinci Hour. I appreciate you coming. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure, honestly. And yeah, so I, I don't know if I've, maybe I was on the physio, the physiology by physio podcast before that was part of our network. But other than that, I have never been on somebody else's podcast. Thank you for uh, this. Appreciate it. I, I feel honored. I mean, this you, as we'll get into, you are the podcast master in the, the medical education <laughs> world. So um, very honored to, to have that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, so you, uh, you're both obviously a practicing physician and then obviously, you know, do medical education. So maybe let's first talk about your, your clinical practice and uh, give us, maybe give us a little bit of background on your, your education, your residency, and then kind of what your practice right now looks like. Yeah. Um, so in, in very broad strokes, I majored in philosophy and went on to, to get a master's in philosophy, um, somewhere between undergrad and graduate studies decided that maybe I should go to med school and kind of discern that, um, went to UT university of Toledo college of medicine, um, as a proud Ohioan, all of my education was in Ohio. Um, shout out Lorraine County Community College and Franciscan U- University of Steubenville, Cleveland State University, and the University of Toledo College of Medicine. So um, Ohio, love Ohio, except when it's cold. Um, <laughs> did med school uh, 2010. I graduated, went and did a residency in uh, OBGYN at the Wright Patterson Wright State University, also in Ohio, uh, <laughs> Air Force Base combined uh, uh, program in OBGYN, um, and did some. Uh, it was Ed Pellegrino's. This is a important aspect of my my story. But Edmund Pellegrino, the chair of the President's Council on Bioethics, uh, while I was a medical student in two thousand eight. Um, I was his his fellow at Georgetown and got to learn under somebody who's been called the father of bioethics. So continued kind of my interest in philosophy. And I am like two classes in a dissertation away from a, uh, uh, well, it's a, a doctorate in bioethics or a PhD in bioethics from a, a school in Rome. But if I'm honest, I have not like, done anything with that for like six years now. And so I'm probably gonna have to re-enroll if I decide to go back because life is busy. And I somehow thought that I could do that doctoral degree while on my first Air Force active duty assignment out of residency to um, Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. And while starting Inside the Boards, my podcast for medical students studying for the USMLE, um, which I launched in 2016. So I've been building that up, but clinically, I practice OB hospitalist medicine. So I am, you know, you hope, completely unnecessary um, during the course of a, a shift. Um, but 1% of the time, extremely necessary. Um, so, you know, I do a mix of, you know, ER calls and, you know, labor delivery and obstetric surgery for common obstetrical reasons. Uh, 
do that now a few times a month. And I'm also the medical director of a level one opioid treatment program. Um, two year anniversary is this month, May 20th, that I've been doing that. And that has completely redefined um, my love for being a doctor and the way I look at this work. Um, my day-to-day -day, like professional enjoyment and satisfaction. I honestly, I, I cannot say enough good things about addiction medicine as a field um, and the patient population that I get to treat in clinic. So I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that because I, I will go on and on. No, that's a great overview. And I, I definitely want to get a little more into the addiction medicine thing, because I think that's, that's such an interesting field. Um, as far as OB-GYN, what made you want to pursue that field as a medical student? I think, you know, obviously we have a lot of med students uh, listening and uh, what, yeah. what made you pursue that, that field back, back in your UT comm days? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, ask myself that question from time to time. Um, you know, I, I think that the way I thought my career would go was that it would model Ed Pellegrino's. He, he was, you know, truly a, a philosopher and a physician. He held dual appointments in the department's philosophy and internal medicine at Georgetown um, for decades and decades. He was the president of the Catholic University of America at one point. Um, but he was, he was always a doctor practicing while he did these other things, um, including writing over 600 articles um, in, in peer-reviewed publications and making foundational contributions to the field of medical ethics. Um, and 14 books, I want to say. Um, I believe he did 14 books, um, monographs as well, uh, and did all that on a typewriter. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I uh, was there at Georgetown in 2008, um, I believe he was in his mid-80s, um, but still once, once a year, he spent a month on service or something at on the, on the wards. Oh, wow. Georgetown <laughs> University Hospital. Yeah, that dude was indefatigable and still wrote on a typewriter uh, every morning. And so I, I thought like, you know, I really like ethics. I really like philosophy. I do not want to give that up, but seems like medicine's going to take a lot of my time and not really allow other interests unless they're integrated. And so what fields have a lot of ethical issues? How can I get that, you know, dual academic appointment in philosophy, in a philosophy department and um, still practice medicine? And I thought, okay, it's, it's got to be OBGYN. There's like literally uh, no one um, that I know who had professional training or expertise in both fields. And um, I found that a little bit frustrating because uh, going into medicine, it seemed like a lot of my, my colleagues, uh, physicians, and those in training were not as all about distinctions as, as I was. <laughs> um, Love to make distinctions and, and arguments and and, and things of this nature. Um, and a lot of the, the people I know in philosophy, um, in bioethics, especially when you're talking about fundamental philosophy, the stuff that, you know, people are easy to parody or turn into like a, a little like Sunday morning cartoon. Um, but those questions of existence and what is knowledge and what is right or wrong are those concepts that exist? Is there, you know, all the big ones. Um, with, with those, you're like, they captured me so much, but there's, I, I understand a certain like pie in the sky or ivory tower or out of touch, um, or there can be sort of transcendentalism that denies the reality of the here and now. Um, and so the people that I knew in philosophy 
often when they would write or talk about bioethics concepts, I feel like they wouldn't quite get the facts correct um, or didn't quite understand the nuances of a particular clinical encounter. And for me, like I'm a Catholic, so that figures big into like why I do medicine too, because, you know, like Jesus was kind of all about like healing people mm-hmm. and uh, trying to like, you know, I'm, I'm part of that club. I kind of feel like I got to, you know, like try to follow that, um, the, the, the founder, <laughs> yeah. his, his model. Um, and, uh, and so I'd, I'd get very um, frustrated by the sort of in, incessant debates between, you know, people who um, are on one side or another of a debate when it, it would be clear to me that like the terms in which they were um, talking were at odds and, and equivocations. So there, there really wasn't any communication happening. Um, and I thought maybe that'll be my contribution to, um, you know, medicine and, and bioethics would be to find some common ground for people who strongly disagree on fundamental moral issues. And that's because my mentor seemed particularly adept at um, confidently and skeptically with, with great skepticism holding his beliefs yeah, holding true to his beliefs while also, I don't think making any enemies at the same time. Um, and, you know, we're all trying to help people. At least that's what we say in our med school interviews. And yeah, <laughs> we should all be leaning into that. So yeah. hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you know, when it came to OB-GYN, was there, was it just like the mix of like medicine and surgery that you liked or, or did you um, or that particular uh, patient population and like women's, you know, reproductive health and those types of things. Is that where the, the, were those kind of playing factors in as well? Um, and, and like you said, like all the ethical dilemmas that can come with, yeah. with that as well. So I would say as intellectual subject matter, um, I always thought like the reproductive system and development embryology um, was just like really cool. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it always struck me as just like this, this, um, you know, this, what was that phrase you learn in like bio 101? Um, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Do, is that legit? I only know uh, enough. It sounds familiar. <laughs> in any case, I don't know why that's popping into my head, but um, subject matter I thought was interesting uh, for sure. But what came to shape things was my third year medical school experience um, in large part. I had had a hint of OBGYN might, you know, maybe this is something I'd like be when I was an undergraduate um, post-bac student at, at Metro Health. I did this thing called the Chester Scholars Program. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, Metro Health is like a half an hour from where both of us uh, uh you know, our hometowns, right. Uh, uh, essentially. So it's yeah, outside Cleveland, it's where Salk studied or invented, released the polio vaccine. Oh, really? I didn't know like, that. Wait, wait, maybe it was Sabin, but it's one of those. It's mm-hmm. like uh, one of the few um, county funded hospitals uh, left Um but I, I shadowed this maternal fetal medicine high risk doctor, you know, as this like 20 year old kid. And um, he l- let me scrub, taught me how to scrub. So taught me how to wash my hands like a doctor does and hold a retractor and in a uh, C-section. And I was like, this is so cool. So awesome. And it just like stuck with me, um, just the hands-on nature of it. Um as well. So I go to med school. I'm thinking surgery. I'm thinking probably pediatric surgery because, you know, I think little kids are cool. I have my own kids at this point, watching them grow and develop is like, just like keeps my, my interest. And 
you do some crazy cool technical procedures in ped surgery, but you also have to do like 10 years of it, um, you know, including significant research. And, and I came to find out third year that I really did not mesh well with general surgeons as a group. Um, they were not, as it were, like my people. Um, I would advise medical students, and I do now, like that finding, you know, your people, the the personality types that tend to go in the field that you want to go into. I think it should be pretty obvious, you know, who those are and one of the the top things in your calculus on what specialty to choose. Uh, I would say uh, a lot of OBGYN personality types um, don't fit me, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, although there also, I have like, I was once told, I always tell this story whenever I get a chance that somebody once told me in residency, I had honorary ovaries. And so like, I'd really try to play that up, you know, <laughs> um, I'm super sensitive and in touch with my <laughs> feminine side. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but um, I knew general surgeons were not my type of people and their lives seemed too crazy. Um, I did GYN onc at uh, Toledo Hospital with Garth Fibbs. Oh yeah, I worked was, with him. He was amazing, like an excellent teacher, but that rotation did not prepare me for what GYN oncology was like, even though he was a GYN oncologist, like looking back, I realized he had set up a, a gig that really was ideal for life. Um, and he essentially, you know, did all these like kick-ass surgeries, like all day long, um, and would have, he had a nurse practitioner who helped him round and do a lot of the, the paperwork stuff. And I believe he had to round on Saturdays, which didn't seem too bad to me. Um, but when I did subsequent GYN onc rotations, I realized, uh, you know, like the, some of the schedules, I mean, it was insane. I remember I did this like fourth year gen onc rotation at Walter Reed in, um, in DC. Um, and like the fellow, the GYN onc fellow, I remember getting at the hospital around at like 6 a.m. And I remember him routinely being there till 8 or 9 p.m. at night on these rotations. And then like, you know, the end of the rotation, also come to find out he had to cover and round every day and do cases at this this other hospital, like concurrently. He's like, yeah, I just like, before we come in here, like, you know, six or seven, we go over to the other side and it's not easy to get around in, you know, Washington, DC. Um, but I loved Ankh. I loved, I like being, I like being with, I like being in tough situations with people. Um, I mean, I may not look serious. Um, <laughs> I may not look like I have any social skills and I was homeschooled for a large portion of my education. Um, but I, I'm really comfortable dealing with bad news and um, when people are afraid. And so those are things that have applied really well in OBGYN um, and which made me kind of like GYN oncology um, but as I moved into residency, I realized I would not have been able to handle another three to four year fellowship after four years of OBGYN. It took its toll on me, frankly, um, mentally, uh, and physically to a certain extent. Um, I've done some really cool things in, um, learned a lot of like awesome surgery. Uh, I've, become I still I'm like endlessly fascinated with like just motherhood as a concept like I am not selfless enough to do that job mm. and I see a lot of women I mean they go through some shit to to bring us into the world and even now like I like I, re I 
just got back uh, from my parents. That's why I was late for the call. Um, I, I went over there and I'm like, man, I'm just thinking like, I, I really don't appreciate my parents like I should. Um, but I do leave work every day and think like, I, I am thankful that I do not have to go through so much that women do. Um, and, and I'm happy about the OB training. I, I especially love, um, you know, taking care of, uh, women with substance use problems, uh, because they don't really get treated that well, um, at all, like doubly. So if you're using while pregnant, the judgment is judgment is strong and it is not helpful. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, one week before the fourth year match, when I had to submit specialties, I was still torn between psychiatry and OBGYN. And what I could not give up was the idea of doing physical exam and surgery. Like they're just two things I really liked. And, and, you know, physical diagnosis skills, i I'm more realistic about nowadays, even as an obstetrician, like obviously you, you can't really not check a, a cervix except, you know, digitally. And we don't really have scans for that, but when it comes to a lot of the, the other practical hands-on stuff, you know, pretty much anybody who comes in with a abdominal pelvic pain presentation and is a female, um, with some very basic screening questions is, is going to go see you guys in radiology and get a scan, you know, um, they're cost effective enough that they can give a lot more information. And, you know, maybe I'm in the like super minority of obstetricians, uh, but I don't think I am and surgery, man. I love surgery. Just, it's so cool to be able to take, something out of somebody that's diseased and see their, their pain go away, um, to, you know, I mean, the worst situations when somebody's, you know, comes in maybe with an abruption, like their, um, their placenta is trying to deliver before the baby, which is, uh, or can be like a significant emergency for mom or baby, um, and they don't even speak our language. Um, you know, they might not be from this country, like those incredibly terrifying moments. Um, I don't get too fussed about. And I, that's, that's given me a lot of like satisfaction to be able to be that calm presence. And especially when people would make fun of me for being too calm, uh, like, yeah, that's right. I'm super chill. No, it makes sense. I mean, the light is seeking, you know, both high stress situations, but also situations that, you know, bring in your ethics interest. And then, like you said, the mix of medicine surgery, it seems like ob gone was, was kind of a natural fit for that. Um, I'm curious though, kind of going from that and you, you opened with talking about it was how did you get into now doing addiction medicine as part of your practice as well? And um, I guess, and I guess maybe take a step back and give us like, I'm sure anyone can imagine, but maybe like by definition, like what is addiction medicine? Like what, what is it that addiction medicine consists of and, and who usually does, if there is like a typical specialty that does addiction medicine? Yeah. So addiction medicine as a specialty is fairly recently recognized. It's, it's so recent that as sometimes happens before a specialty becomes its own, um, there's a transition period where people can become board certified in said specialty without having to do a you know, residency or a fellowship, like training after uh, uh, medical school. Um, and this practice pathway, as it's called, um, is, is what I'm doing now, like trying to get clinical experience and studying like, <laughs> like, like we're, we all do in medicine, um, continuously and, and some other things as well, but, um, to, to get that competence, um, 
you, you have till now 2025, I think, to be able to take advantage of a practice pathway. And I just honestly, in two or three years out of residency, um, I, for a long time, was was spending weeks and weeks on call as the only OBGYN for like a, a kind of a community practice, which wasn't as crazy hard and taxing as some of my private practice colleagues' lives I see now. Um, it, being in the military, it was a little more chill, but still, I mean, a few times a week, I'd be like getting up at 1 a.m., driving to the hospital, coming back, and then have like a full day of clinic. Um, and then as uh, my own personal character flaw, like 30 other projects and aspirations, like in, in writing or bioethics or starting a podcast. Um, and so I got pretty burnt out, actually. And I had known that as a second year residency, I just got along really well with patients who had substance use disorders. Like they didn't annoy me and, you know, others would, you know, sadly, and honestly, it pisses me off when I hear it now, but like, you know, make negative comments about like another human being. Like, uh, I mean, I, I don't get it. Honestly, I never got it. Um, because I know that like they need help and that's what I thought we signed up for. Um, but then I was in the military. So like over the course of four years of active duty, I, I think I saw one positive urine drug screen for something that shouldn't have been there. And it was marijuana. It's nowadays, like in the other practice environments, which have been multiple, um, like university hospital setting, uh, community hospital setting, you know, uh, outpatient, uh, substance use clinic, uh, that one's more obvious, but I mean, everyone is positive for something, it seems, um, in, in a, you know, average community setting, certainly. Um, and I was just kind of reminded of, you know, this interest in mental health things. I'm not going back and doing four years of residency. And so get out long-winded way of saying I get out and decide, hey, I can probably marry some of the um, interest in mental health with OBGYN by doing addiction medicine because there's a, a lot of more focus-specific mental health-related things. And I also, I just always got along in OBGYN like with patients who have um, disease states that have a significant psychological component um, or really significant psychological effects, like infertility is a huge one. Like couples don't get to the point where they're seeking treatment for that and unless they've they've really suffered. But I mean, that's the the truth, like OBGYN is great because of the breadth. I mean, you can do significantly satisfying surgery. Um, you've got options to go into various, you know, uh, fellowships um, and hone, you know, this or that area. Um, you see people from very young to very old. You can, despite the way modern medicine is going and which needs to be restored uh, even more so, you still can develop meaningful relationships with patients to the point where you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm the doctor for you. Um, we mesh together personality wise. And, you know, I got to take part in this happy thing that you will experience a handful of times from, you know, this angle. And we here working in L&D experience a handful of times a day, um, but still feel that, you know, satisfaction, like, yeah, like, cool, got this lady to stop smoking. Um, you know, this person, you know, I got to help them optimize their blood sugar and or, um, you know, I got to see them deliver a baby after treating them for a stillbirth. 
when I initially met him or um, difficult miscarriage or, you know, all sorts of terrible things that can happen to people. So OB has strong strengths in its breadth and having some of that mental health stuff and primary care. Like it's just, it is like every specialty to a certain degree. It's just all the patients are women. That's, you know, that's it. It's full spectrum of care. And, and that's, what's cool um, about it. So we're going to take a quick break to let you know the Da Vinci Hour podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also, be sure to use the discount code TDH20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. All right, now back to the podcast. I want to come back real quick, though, for the uh, addiction medicine uh, piece. Is that, I guess, forgive me just because I'm not as aware, is that like, are these physicians that or it work at rehab centers, or is it more on an outpatient basis, or is it both, or are there are addiction medicine specialists ever brought in on the inpatient side to deal with, uh, yeah. you know, things like that of that that nature? I guess kind of what yeah, what does that yeah. all entail? Well, um, yes, basically to all of those things. So you know, if you're a fellowship trained addictionologist, which is the uh, term for people who um, uh, come to addiction medicine outside of psychiatry. So there are a couple of ways to become an addiction medicine doctor um, or primarily work as a physician in the context of addiction. Um, you can do a fellowship from psychiatry and become an addiction psychiatrist. Um, you can, like me, have a primary board certification um, from the American Board of Medical Specialties. Um, there's 20-something of those. Um, and then get enough clinical experience to practice addiction medicine, um, get board certified, um, or uh, you can go on to fellowship um, from any ABMS specialty. Uh, and what do they do? Well, um, buprenorphine or MAT, uh, medication-assisted treatment, or uh, now trying to go towards medication for opiate use uh, disorder, um, you know, there are, quote, suboxone clinics um, or methadone clinics that will help people with, you know, a substance use problem for namely opiates. Um, get on what effectively is a, uh, you know, a rehabilitative therapy for their brain um, to kind of help them reboot and get back some of the, uh, rebalance some of the things they may have lost from uh, years of, of having this disease of their free will addiction. Um, but addictionologists and addiction psychiatry folks will work in inpatient rehab centers on behavioral health units, you know, for the, the psychiatrists, especially for inpatient psych, um, they will supervise medical, um, uh, like detox centers, like, um, uh, when people go to get like medicines to help them go through like opiate withdrawal, um, a lot of policy advocacy work or niche, you know, uh, sorts of, of things like uh, helping fellow physicians or providers who have substance use problems um, or pregnant women setting up programs in the community um, or a clinical system to deliver prenatal care and treatment to, um, to uh, pregnant women. Um, 
helping manage alcohol withdrawal, uh, providing consults to physicians who suspect that um, you know a patient's whatever condition is is significantly exacerbated or caused by their substance use problem. Pretty much every clinical, you know, standard issue clinical context, um, addiction medicine physicians uh, work within. So they're honestly the coolest doctors. Like, I mean, I know orthos probably think they are, maybe. <laughs> um, definitely a lot of ED docs think so, at least the ones I know. Um, but honestly, addiction medicine docs are the coolest. And I can say that now without like tooting my own horn because I am not board certified in addiction <laughs> medicine. I'm, I'm trying to get there, but I am not. Um, <laughs> You got to do an addiction rotation. Like if, if you're a medical student, um, I highly, highly recommend it. Cause I mean, think about it. Like every single specialty is touched by addiction. Like, you know, I mean, you can get infectious disease has a lot of work that happens because of substance use problems. Certainly psychotic disorders in psychiatry, abruption for cocaine use in pregnancy. I mean, you know, acute uh, angle closure, glaucoma, uh, you know, the ophthalmologists even do. I mean, it's everywhere. What about radiology? What's a good radiology example? I mean, the falls and broken bones you probably see. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then interventional, you know, for abscesses, if we put drains yeah. and abscesses that form and things like that. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And I don't know if I told you, I, I did my intern year here in, at Emory, which a, a big hospital we covered is Grady Memorial, which is uh, kind of like the metro of Atlanta, if you will. Uh, it's a big, huge county, a thousand bed county bed, ho county hospital um, that treats a lot of the like the underserved population of, of Atlanta. And down here, up, you know, up in Ohio, that's, as you know, the opioid pandemic has certainly reached up there but down here it's it's definitely down here but there's also a significant crack cocaine uh you know issue as well with a lot of our patients here um so i you know i did a lot of rotations of medicine emergency medicine and um so we got to you know kind of see the the effects of that and what you say is true i mean it affects so many different aspects of people's care i mean sure they come in with heart failure but you gotta think about why did they come in with heart failure well if they, you know, relapsed yeah, and took cocaine again. Yeah. Um, yep, exactly. so it's, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, Oh, so-and-so has a problem. It's, it's much more complicated than that. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's part of their, their treatment plan. It's not just, you know, you know, you, in that case, you diarese them and send them out. They just, you know, to get a long-term success, you need to address this other underlying, you know, health issue. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's like, it should be intuitive. And, you know, what I have been so struck by, uh, and like I said, this is going to be my second anniversary uh, of working, like specifically dedicated in the field on May 20th. And what has struck me is the stories of people who acquired the, just the, the natural history of it. Like my clinic is, is an opioid treatment program. So everybody I'm seeing is this, this one disease. Um, they at least have that. Uh, and I just watching the, the development of this problem and seeing which people get better based on, you know, their personalities or the things they're doing, their attitudes, their life experiences, their comorbidities, um, hearing the stories of how they got the addiction um, and developed it, how, you know, it's like a switch flips. And my doctor started me on Percocet for my knee pain or my back pain, or just post-surgically for a couple weeks. And unlike you, Dr. Beeman, like when you take Percocet, you're like, uh, I have nausea, I'm going to throw up. Like it felt good to me. And, you know, I, I thankfully, I never had that because for others, once that happens, it initiates a cascade of events that, that really negatively can affect their life. Everybody's going to get dependent on opiates if you take them long enough. Um, 
but when you then go to switch insurances um, or you're being prescribed something from an unscrupulous doctor or just somebody who isn't thinking like the orthopedist who does a knee, you know, case and, you know, the, the, you know, your standard issue, like retired cop who, you know, uh, many of us know, I have a family member like this who, you know, he had a post-surgical complication with his knee um, and it, it hurt. I mean, it was like he had this huge effusion um, a week out from his case. And so he needed more pain meds to control his pain. Totally reasonable. Uh, but then he also developed a week later, like an infection, like a septic joint um, after having like this fluid drained off. And so now it goes week and week on to like four or five weeks. And this, you know, family member who was a retired cop. So that often can tell you a lot about what they think about, you know, drug policy and, and things of this nature uh, was like, I don't know if this is helping me. Cause, and he was starting to have like anxiety, like six hours after he'd taken his like last Percocet for instance. And this is somebody who does not do drugs, you know, recreationally. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he, it was just very striking to see him. He was dependent and he could easily have developed an addiction because those doses escalate. You go from Percocet, you do that three months every day at a decent dose, then gets cut off, you know, stop cold turkey because your doctor cuts off the prescription. You're going to be sick. Like you're gonna, it looks like literally shitty, um, if you excuse the language. But another pro of addiction medicine that patients probably don't mind as much as if you like if you swear. So, <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I mean, it it just sucks because our profession, we physicians should be the leaders in healthcare. We should be steering this ship. We should be remembering like there's a reason why our domain and um, expertise is oriented towards human health, a basic primary good of the human person. And instead we are employed by systems that try to dictate um, to us what we ought to be doing when they have they can't understand what it is we actually do. There's that disconnect between the ought and the is. Um, and really only we can remedy it within our spheres of influence and stop, you know, trying to see a, a bajillion patients in one day and, you know, catering to systems that won't let us treat somebody adequately, which might mean getting involved in treating their addiction, um, even though it might take a little bit of like work and advocacy and, you know, just small things. It's super high yield as it were for community support. Like I have so much Narcan now. I just like give it to everyone. Like my County had, I think, uh, 220 overdose, overdose deaths last year, um, somewhere around there. Um, and you know, like I went to the, the County, like memorial service. And I mean, it was just like heartbreaking. Like you, I don't know, you can't get through it. I honestly, I could talk so much about addiction. It's like, so fascinating to me. And I have like awesome patients and I, I mean, they're like really tend to be, I think on average, more intelligent than your average person um, personality wise, um, a lot of them tend to be really, really creative compared to the, you know, age match controls who don't have these genes and these tendencies and environmental circumstances that brought them to these points. And people who beat an addiction, like when they go to like start a company or in, in engage in like a creative endeavor, I mean, there's some of the, the, the most important contributions to human uh to all human enterprises um they can be so i don't know i can't I've, i will keep talking about this. no no that's no it's fa passionate about it so 
No, it's a fascinating thing. And, and I mean, I'll just even say, you know, as you're talking, you know, hitting all fields, you know, you just, you mentioned orthopedics. The other thing with our, our field, our field has done a lot of, and, and which is really exciting in, in interventional radiology. And then there's an, some anesthesia docs also doing this as well as like pain interventions to help get P and essentially a lot of the goals with those like kyphoplasties or some of the other kind of nerve ablation procedures that we've done. I just, I just had a guest on who's an attending at our program that specializes a lot in like nerve ablation for, for pain. And he has these patients that, um, you know, have chronic pain and reach out to him from all over the country and come here uh, to see him and get procedures done. And because they work, they do. And, and, you know, it's a, it's again, kind of, again, our specialties kind of crutch, if you will, or, or not crutch, but challenge is to get people to realize, like, I think I've told you is that we have other solutions than just, and in this case, we have other solutions than just taking opioids or pain meds, um, or suffering through it. You know, um, you know, we, that's kind of a main goal is to help people get off of those and, and also have less invasive, you know, avoid less invasive or more invasive alternatives with surgery. So, yeah, no, it's definitely, I think attacking that from all angles is definitely really fascinating. Um, so we've covered your clinical practice. I want to definitely get into your other passion in medical education. So you were obviously one of the early uh, people at online med ed, which has exploded into, you know, a huge, um, you know, online medical education company and resource, you know, worldwide. Um, so maybe kind of take us through your, your journey through the kind of the medical education world, you know, online med ed, and then obviously, you know, inside the boards and, and, and where you are now. Yeah. So, uh, as a medical student, um, coming from philosophy, I had to change the way I studied and I figured out that doing practice questions was the way to go for exams, um, and started writing content along those lines as a fourth year medical student, continued that throughout residency. Like I said, I was the medical or the director of uh, content for a, a osteopathic uh, question bank for a while. And then um, I've you know, written thousands or edited thousands of questions, started inside the boards in 2015, because what I had learned, I think, through writing all of these um, multiple choice questions in a National Board of Medical Examiners format, and really staying steeped in their author's guidelines, that you could take the principles of good, you know, evaluate knowledge evaluation or test taking, um, ideal, you know, item uh, construction, and then apply it to your study. Um, that's really, you know, what helped me be able to uh, go from like. 20th percentile standardized exam scores on like shelves to 99th percentile once things kind of clicked um, and I weighted everything basically towards doing multiple choice questions for study purposes. Um, I figured you could teach that to people. Uh, they didn't have to get a job doing it. And that's why I started inside the boards because I was hoping like, you know, here's this, I'd come out of like this burnout and had some significant mental health struggles, had this acquired a pretty decent facility in writing questions and teaching people how to answer them. Um, and so I started the podcast, um, 2016, um, just kept doing it, got to early on. Uh, one of our guests was Dustin from online med ed one of our earliest, earliest guests and one of the best, honestly, interviews and episodes I ever did for this thing in the past six years, um, really is a really interesting character, uh, Dustin, um, and has his heart in the right place. Uh, really, honestly, everybody did it at online med ed, like as a company, just really, you know, it's, they're, they're worth supporting. Like I, the, I wanted to be a part of that through my work at Inside the Boards, meeting Dustin. I got to spend a year as the director of um, undergraduate medical education, so essentially the the question bank guy. Um, once I got out of the military and moved back to my hometown near Cleveland, uh, Lorraine, um, to be near my kids, and then um, 
subsequently inside the boards has uh, grown from one podcast to uh, uh, like, I mean, seven or eight, depending on if you join our network. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so we produce shows for um, mainly uh, students studying for step one and two. We have two original ones inside the boards, the main original OG podcast, which is um, mainly interview based. Um, still with each episode, we try to break down one multiple choice questions, kind of help you to think like a question writer. Um, we have a straight up like all question breakdowns uh, show called the Study Smarter Podcast. We uh, produce a physiology by physio, uh, show from the guys at physio. Um, one of my partners, um, in, inside the boards, Ted O'Connell wrote, uh, crush step one and the recent editions of USMLE step two secrets and step three secrets. Um, plus a bunch of other things. Um, we have a podcast version of USMLE step two secrets and crush step one. Uh, Ted's books, uh, as well as another Elsevier um, title series from Dr. Raj, um, that's Raj Dasgupta, um, called Beyond the Pearls. Um, his series, uh, Beyond the Pearls or Morning Report, all case-based, long-form, you know, uh, breakdowns of clinical situations for testing purposes. Um yeah, so trying to add some more. And with Inside the Boards, honestly, up it's 2022, uh, May the 2nd. Um, we've made more progress as an organization and a company. Um, I've matured a lot, I think, as a leader. Um, in, the, in the past three months, probably than we have since the beginning when we really took off in that second kind of or third wave of podcasting in like 2016 nobody was really doing usmle prep podcasts which was like i was like what like that's crazy um so and um now we you know have uh, sometimes up to like a hundred thousand um downloads per month um on our network um and ended up founding a separate health media endeavor called Ars Longa Media so that I could do like media podcasting work outside of just medical education. So I actually have like more like 20 podcasts in production or live and trying to add more to create, you know, unified some content around addiction stuff and mental health, um, destigmatization, uh, restoring, you know, the kind of have humanism to medicine by philosophy content and importantly coming soon the audio sketch comedy for healthcare code periwinkle which is going to be like snl meets gray's anatomy meets john oliver um or some other interview based late night show um, but for medicine and on audio it's going to be hilarious i hope uh, and it's going to be built by all the listeners along with us who devote some of our professional time to this work. One thing I wanted to ask you, just so the listeners are aware, you have a paid uh, or a premium membership on your website and your app as well. What 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 does that offer uh, yeah. those users? So um, we have a, a premium subscription to Inside the Boards gives access to our all audio question bank for either the USMLE step one or two. That's kind of the core um, content or, or product uh, that, that we offer. And then we uniquely also within our premium membership have like the high yield 100 pharmacology uh, questions from Lacturio and a, an audio version of cons cases, medical ethics 101 for the boards. Um, and uh, a lot of that's going to be revamped though. So that's coming soon too. I'm constantly trying to think of ways to, uh, 
ensure that we can continue to pay the people who work for us um, and uh, also those save med students money because I, I hate having to charge people, but you know, you do have to pay to develop an app and um, maintain server storage and some like practical things like that. But I think there's, I think we're close to figuring out a way to make it like super cheap and accessible and to ensure that any money that goes to inside the boards, people know why it goes to inside the boards, where it goes and, um, feel that you know the value that that they're getting just goes beyond the you know some audio <laughs> but but you know we are trying to produce things that help you study on the go save you time so you can redeem it for your family have your priorities set so you don't develop an addiction or mental health problems or relational you know catastrophes um, and some of the things that people in medicine can be prone to that really should not be the case so Sure. Sure. And I think going on that, I'll take a minute to kind of talk about what you and I are doing together with between Da Vinci Academy and inside the boards where we're building our kind of, we have our weekly case series, Da Vinci cases at uh, Da Vinci Academy, which uh, some of the listeners are probably aware of, but we're doing our inside the boards edition, which is basically Patrick and I joining forces to bring you that question dissection skill set that, you know, he has crafted so well on, his podcasts. And then obviously we've been able to do on our DaVinci cases. And so we've, uh, you know, released a few episodes already. And then uh, I think that's going to be, you know, we're still working out the further details, but uh, we're doing mainly pathology cases right now, but we hope to expand in other subjects, including uh, Patrick's passion for ethics. And then, uh, you know, making that also a, a kind of a add to the paid value as well of, of both paid users on your, on your platform and on ours as well. So more to come from and, that. <laughs> and we're trying to do it kind of open too, because like this is hopefully we can be able to demonstrate that a, a cooperative approach inside the market, as it were, um, is 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 worth pursuing more than the fierce competition that you know keeps us from accomplishing as much as we could. Um, mm -hmm. We all see it in med school, you know, but that doesn't need to continue. Like. We're, we're leaders. We're going to be, you know, significant players in our communities. And if we do it together, that can really change communities, honestly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So ours, I want to kind of finish on the Ars Longa Media, I think is really cool what you're doing with that, where, like you said, you've, you've kind of used that to expand outside of just medical education. Um, I guess maybe tell us a little bit. So you obviously you have your inside the boards podcasts on there, but what other types of podcasts um, do you have on this? And is it like kind of, are you trying to form this? I think the way you've described it to me is almost like an Amazon prime of, of podcasting, if you will, or in the kind of medicine yeah. and health, health and wellness type space. Yes. Yeah, so ours Longa media is a health media and creativity company. Um, we want to operate wherever health broadly considered, um, not just in more narrow medical or biological definition, not even just mental, but health broadly, as broadly as possible, wherever health and creativity intersect. Um, because, uh, well, I won't get into everything, but uh, quickly, the Ars Longa Vita Brevis is a Latin term. Uh, usually translated as art is long, life is short. And it is uh, a lot of people don't, you know, elementary Latin 101 people, uh, when they see this, don't realize that it's attributable to Hippocrates. So the art that's referred to there is the art of medicine. And being a doctor, um, it made sense to me to call it that, being somebody who loves Latin or loved Latin when he had time and could learn it in an undergraduate context, uh, had to have a Latinate name. Um, absolutely, the company had to have a Latinate name, not compromising on that. Um, for anybody out there uh, listening who has tried to convince me that it should not be a Latinate name, you are wrong. Um, everything else we can collaborate on, but that's my hard line boundary. Uh, so art is long, life is short, or uh, as more loosely, you know, um, you know, art creating stuff, creative endeavors, perdure or endure uh, beyond the brevity of life. And um, 
that goes to, you know, making lasting contributions, hopefully important contributions to somebody's day, whether Code Periwinkle brings them joy and respite from the, you know, stress of, of modern medical practice. We are producing content from inside the boards that helps somebody pass their USMLE and become a doctor um, while saving some time for getting their own oil changed or getting a health maintenance exam at their own physician. Um, but yeah, so uh, we create content in mainly three areas right now. Medical education inside the boards is the bulk of that. Um, more general healthcare things, um, like we have a show on our network, um, was an early COVID podcast because um, we knew that fight was, you know, the information fight was going to be critical back February and March. And, and Ted O'Connell um, did a lot of work um, uh, as, as a host of that show early on. Um, obviously, nobody really it seems cares about COVID anymore. Um, and it's, it, you know, we've really made progress against that. It was tough two years, tough on our families, on our individually, tough on these businesses. Um, we have medical news by medical students in the Health Beat podcast. Um, so healthcare, med ed, and mental health. So mental health and psychology, we have um, content right now mainly focused on healthy relationships. So there's one called healthy uh, forward slash forward slash toxic because that looks cool. Um, all about like toxic relationships and relational dynamics, which also learning that stuff, super useful in medicine. Um, so healthy, toxic, uh, true crime psychology, um, and um, uh, a cluster B personality disorder podcast. Um, we're going to be moving into uh, the music space and producing a show with a psychologist who has a music and mental health uh, podcast and um, going to be doing an addiction-related uh, uh, season on that. Uh, I can't wait to tell people about that one, but I can't yet. Um, and uh, so music philosophy, I would like to get into more to come on that, along with the inside the boards, bioethics and uh, health system science series um, and uh, aliens. I would like to uh, get into aliens, too. Um, not really, but I do have an idea for a show called Aliens and dot, dot, dot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will not go into that now. I, um, for more information, um, go to uh, Tom DeLong from uh, formerly of Blink-182 and now of Angels and Airwaves. He, he can fill you in on that. So. <laughs> awesome. Right. Now everyone's going to think I'm into aliens and crazy. <laughs> I think I'm crazy because I mentioned aliens rather than all the other things I just talked about um, trying to do at once <laughs> no you're you're certainly a, a very busy guy and and uh it was really interesting you know obviously we we've been uh you know communicating uh pretty regularly for the last few months uh with our different projects and getting to know each other but it was great to hear your story on you know both your clinical background and then obviously in medical education um and thanks for sharing that with us and and your pearls of wisdom that you've picked up along the way. I guess we ask every, every guest that's just to close out when you're not doing all of these projects and, you know, practicing OB-GYN and addiction medicine, what do you do with your, your spare time? How do you, how do you, um, cause we kind of try to foster that, you know, outlet, outlet, uh, you know, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, lately, um, home improvement, like laying flooring. So that's uh, just a necessity of this current season in my life, but trying to get back into guitar. Um, I did nine years of uh, classical guitar uh, lessons growing up. Uh, but honestly, my go-to thing, <laughs> I, I love video games. I, I really enjoy video games. I uh, got an Oculus, um, which is crazy. Um, 
and I have a PS. Honestly, I have like all the game systems. I try to play at least once a week. Um, not always successful for like an hour or two. Um, and then about every like six months, I'll spend like a week just like binging um, and doing that with all my free time. Um, and uh, it's a, a guilty pleasure, but I like it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put links to, you know, inside the boards, Ars Longa Media uh, in the show notes. Is there, if people want to reach out and, you know, collaborate or want to, you know, get involved in producing content for inside the boards or Ars Longa Media, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, um, you know what I would say is you can send me an email, uh, Patrick at Ars Longa, that's A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. Um, you just Google Patrick C Beeman, include the C in there as a middle initial. Trust me. Um, if you don't, you, that the other person is not me. Now everybody's going to Google, (laughs) (laughs) but you'll see, I showed this to you, right? Yeah. I think, I think, I think, yeah, yeah, there's D Beeman is a way different from that. Yeah. I think, I think you have a YouTube video on this on your on one of you. <laughs> I might. Yeah. I, maybe that that might be true. That sounds like me. <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah. So um, um, yeah, just you know, reach out. I I can't promise I'll get back to you in a timely fashion, but I will try to get back to you or have somebody get back to you um, if if I myself can't. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Patrick, thank you again for coming on the Da Vinci Hour. Uh, appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for, thanks for the conversation. I, I Really, I do enjoy our conversations and it is nice to be able to um, talk about myself for an hour and a half. Like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird, actually. I haven't not done this in a while, so hopefully I didn't, um, didn't bore you to death. Um, I definitely appreciate the opportunity and uh, can't wait to see what else we keep doing uh, week by week. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, everybody, well, we, this will close out our conversation and definitely keep, uh, keep your eyes out for, uh, the Da Vinci cases inside the boards, uh, cases coming out soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci hour brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Also on our website, You can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as eBooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called Da Vinci Cases. Da Vinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.